0: Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls his friends together and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Lord, would you come now and speak to us through your word in Christ's name, amen. Uh, This news headline was sent to me, uh, so I thought I'd share it with you just as a way of introduction. Uh, Fire started in the grasslands close to a farm, and uh, as is typical, the county fire department rushed to the scene, but the fire was more than they could handle. So someone suggested calling the volunteer fire department. Despite some doubt that they would be of any assistance, they were called. The volunteers arrived in a dilapidated, beat-up old fire truck. They rumbled straight towards the fire, drove right into the middle of the flames and stopped. The firefighters jumped from the truck and frantically started spraying water in all directions. Soon they'd snuffed out the center of the fire and leaving two parts which were easily put out. As the farmer watched all this, he was so impressed and grateful that his house and farm had been spared, he quickly got out his checkbook wrote a check for $1,000 to the volunteer fire department. and a local news reporter asked the volunteer fire captain how they're planning to use the funds, and the captain replied, the first thing we're going to do is fix the brakes on the fire truck. (laughs) You'll get it. It's actually a joke. Now that things can't get any worse, it'll just get better from here. Um, The parable of the lost sheep. That's what we're looking at this morning. It tells, tells us three things. It tells us something about what God is like. tells us something about what heaven is like. And it tells us something about what we're to, we are to be like. So let's dive right in. So verse 1 begins similar to last week. The tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to Jesus And the Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, this fellow welcomes sinners. They said, he even eats with them. So once again, Jesus is intentionally upsetting the religious establishment. And at the heart of the trouble, what these opening verses tell us, at the heart of the trouble is the character of the people he's associating with. The tax collectors were disliked not just because they were like tax collectors. I mean, unless you have a friend or a family member who works for the IRS, you don't really have reason to like the IRS. Or maybe you do, I don't know. You know, tax collectors throughout history have never been celebrated as a profession. Nobody really liked them also because they were either gathering money for Herod, their ruler who was corrupt, and taking advantage of them and they didn't like them either because they were also collecting for their oppressors the romans and what's worse is they were in regular contact with gentiles and they were considered unclean out of reach of god's grace but here we see as well that the sinners uh in the context tell us here that the sinners those who are lost are a combination. It's a much more general idea than what we might have today or you know, that the church in the 19th, 20th century may have established. The sinners that are, disp- that are out of reach would have been the poor because a number of people would have been too poor to have an education. And because of their poverty, They just wouldn't know and have had the privilege to understand how they can relate to God. So it's the poor. The others are those who are regarded by the self-appointed experts as hopelessly irreligious. Those who are out of touch with the demands of God that he had made on Israel through the law. And so what we have here is this idea that in order to be in right relationship with God, you have to do everything right. And if you can't, then you're not in. And what Jesus is doing, he's turning it all upside down and proving the point that this isn't really about what you do, but this is really about what God is doing. So throughout this chapter, Jesus isn't saying that such people were simply to be accepted as they stand. No, because the lost sheep and later on in the chapter, the lost coin, the lost son are found. And this understanding then that we have here, first and foremost, that this idea of repentance is really this idea of having to change your thinking. Repentance is a directional term. It means to turn around. And here the message is, is that for the religious, they have to change their thinking. Because for Jesus, when people follow him in his way, that's true repentance. He doesn't say it in so many words, but it's here by implication. The Pharisees and legal experts need to repent. Otherwise, look at verse seven. I think this is Jesus being a little tongue in cheek. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance I think he said that with a smile but I'm Canadian so we're accustomed to saying difficult things with a smile and ending with a question hey eh? right so and I'm not suggesting uh, Jesus was Canadian because Canada isn't that old but anyway moving on how did I get here yes verse 3 let's look down so he told them this parable what man of you having a hundred sheep if he's lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. The point of the parable becomes clear with that. Faith and religious structure alone can kill a party. Form without God's presence creates a barrier that prevents people with meeting Jesus. There's a party going on. All of heaven is having a party. The hosts of angels are joining in. And if we don't have one as well, we'll be out of tune with God's reality. That's why if you look at the last page of your bulletin, you'll see our values. And one of our values, big values, anchor values, I will say, is hospitality. Not entertainment. Because if you're coming for entertainment, there are people who do it better, who have better jokes and you know, all that kind of stuff. Entertainment, we're probably a little less than average. Okay, average. But everything we do, instead of trying to entertain, we do here at St. Bart's to create a space where people can have an encounter with Jesus. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? On earth as it is in heaven. And so, if hospitality, a party at the table, is essential to what's happening in heaven even now and what's to come, then there must be something of that midst today. In the story of the sheep, the punchline depends on how you believe the two halves of God's creation are meant to fit together. One option is earth keeps getting worse and worse and pivots towards destruction, or heaven and earth are gradually, throughout salvation history, becoming closer and closer to being in harmony. So that the reality of heaven is being, I'm gonna use a a very technical term, is being colonized on earth. So that the culture of heaven is is slowly becoming the dominant culture of earth. Jesus' message is clear. If you discover what's going on in heaven, you'll discover how things were meant to be on earth. That is after all why we pray in the Lord's Prayer your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we have the Pharisees and the legal experts. So that's what we learn about heaven, is that where we live gradually is becoming more and more in tune with what's happening in heaven. And one day it'll all be resolved, but until then we have this gradual progression but the problem is the legal expert and Pharisees believed that the closest you could get to heaven was in the temple. And the temple required strict purity laws from the priests. And the closest that non-priests could get to would be to cop, the closest non-priests could get to was to do their best to copy heaven by maintaining very strict, hard purity rituals in every aspect of life and the sad thing is that at the time of Jesus is that they've forgotten something very important. The temple and its consecration when Solomon prays that prayer in 2 Chronicles 5 he declares that the temple was to be the place that bore the name of God, so that even if foreigners came to the temple, though they did not know him, and they prayed in the name of God, God would answer their prayers so they could discover that even the foreigner was loved by him, that he is the God of all. Yet strict religious adherence, the belief in the form and correct following of the religion kept people from encountering God. Religion can kill a party. That's why I leave parties early. You know, you invite a priest to a party, once he leaves, it really kicks off. It's true of every wake I've left early. I say, hey, weren't you at that wake? I say, yeah. I say, well, it really got started at about 8 o'clock. Yeah, I left at 7 30. Oh, okay. That's why here at St. Bart's we describe kind of how we do things as a relaxed reverence. We're reverent, absolutely. We hold by the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the way we see the scriptures, the highest respect. But I need to be careful because if I get too fussy about the liturgy and everything, I will lose sight of the most important thing, which is that you're not here for me, you're not here that it all goes well, you're here because you need to meet with Jesus and I need to meet with Jesus. Peter writes in his letters that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a moment. The original temple In its consecration bore the name of the living God. And so while we all have names that were given to us by our parents, there's something about you and me as we follow Jesus that as we do that, we take on another name so that our lives are marked by the name of the living God. That's why what Jesus is doing here is so important. And so Jesus is declaring that heaven was having a great noisy party every time a single sinner saw the light and began to follow God's way. And if we want to copy the life of heaven, we need to have a party too. That's what Jesus was doing. That's why we value hospitality. It's why we're doing Alpha. Alpha's on Tuesday nights here next door. And uh, someone came up to, a number of people came up to me Tuesday night afterwards, says, this is not what I expected. I said, tell me more. They said, this felt more like a night out, like a fun time than a Bible study. I said, thank you, that's the greatest compliment we've ever received. Because that's what we're aiming for. We want to have something of a party when we meet. Another person came up to me and said, you know, I haven't been to church in 15 years. I said, okay. And I felt like I'd come home tonight. It's great. That's the plan. There's something about when we mirror what happens in heaven here on earth where God makes himself known. The particular sheep that's lost isn't very special. The whole point of the parable is that the only thing different about this sheep and the 99 is that it's lost. And this is very important. The lost sheep did not have to earn God's love or God's respect. This is more about God than it is about the lost sheep. Jesus makes it clear that God loves looking for the lost. And he celebrates finding the lost. He loves them already and respects them already. That doesn't change when they're found. I've found, I've learned that I make assumptions at my own peril. When I meet someone for the first time, I have no idea if someone is lost. Well, sometimes I say, help, I'm lost. Can you help me find so-and-so? Say, yeah, uh, probably not, but let's try together. Um, but what I do know is when I meet someone is that if I make an assumption, I can make a very great mistake. But this is what I know, and this is what we all know, based on this parable is that though we may not know if the person we've met while waiting for an airplane or in a restaurant or wherever it is we are, in church even, we may not know if this person has chosen to follow Jesus yet. What we do know without a shadow of a doubt is that they are loved and respected by God. And so how do we relate to them? How do we relate to them if we bear the name of God? With love and respect. And then you suddenly find that they will tell you everything. If, you know, you extend that love and respect to them. So what Jesus did, spending time with the lost, showing them respect and love, is the deepest point of these parables. And it's the ultimate reason why the Pharisees reject him. Jesus' actions on earth corresponded directly to God's love in heaven. And so that's what we're like here. That's what we're trying to be. Difficult now that college football started. After yesterday, you know. Any Notre Dame fans here? Apologies or not, depending on your alliance. God loves searching and finding the lost so much that he celebrates. When I lose something, I lose my mind and I tear the house apart. And when I find it, I'm like, finally, there's no party. I'm exhausted by the search. God is not exhausted. He throws a party. He loves to celebrate finding the lost. And what's lovely is what Jesus shows here is that to be lost isn't something worthy of being disparaged about because it's not personal. You're loved and respected either way. I found myself lost last night. I was out supper with some friends at a beer place and because of health restrictions I can't drink beer. And suddenly I found myself with an electric pink glass of kombucha I'm like this is not how life is meant to be prickly pear it was just, it was awful but you know i didn't want to lose face so i drank it all and put it down and they said would you like another i said no <laughs> when can we leave people who follow jesus can get lost as well. And how do we get lost? Well, very rarely is it a conscious decision to leave it all behind and choose to follow somebody else. At least in the 21 years I've been in this business, usually it's because of pain. It's because of heartache. It's because of the difficulties we've endured. And this invitation to follow Jesus comes to a point where in order to receive from him, we have to give him and offer to him the difficult things. For most of my life, I've shared this before, I'll share it again, um, it's not an issue so I won't do it in great detail. I have powered through. When difficult things happen, I just power through. You know, I lived in England for 13 years and I embraced the stiff upper lip um, mentality as I could, and you just power through. But all of a sudden, I hit a moment back in November where I couldn't power through anymore. I think like many clergy, COVID hit, power through. Global pandemic, doesn't matter, we'll run to the rescue. And it didn't stop. Then the pandemic didn't end, so I didn't end. Just keep stopping. And then my health deteriorated so that I had to stop. And then when it did stop, what I found was, is I didn't know where I was anymore. Was I lost? Well, I knew Jesus and my beliefs are still intact, but what I was feeling was very disorientating. I had a depressive episode when I was a teenager that lasted five minutes. You know, it's not my nature to ever get low. I'm a cups overflowing type of guy. I think the people who think the cup is half full or half empty are both wrong. It's overflowing, let's, let's go, right? But I had to stop and I didn't know what to do and I stopped and I went through a process that is best described by someone I heard share it this way is that if the promise of Jesus is to turn our beauty into ashes, that at some point we have to grieve and we have to mourn and we have to offer to Jesus our ashes. This is what uh, someone wrote in light of the Queen's death, which uh, in England, the Queen has died. Um, No surprise, she was 96 and you know, they planned for it and everything, but What's incredible is, are these incredible displays of grief. And it's so helpful, isn't it? And this is what N.T. Wright writes about grief. Not, to grief. not to grieve, not to lament, is to slam the door on the same place in the innermost part of your heart where love comes from. It's interesting, isn't it? In my thinking, If I power through, all will be well. And yet my prayer in in those seasons was, Lord, enable me, allow me to know more of your love. And I had to stop and grieve in order for that door to open again. That's just me. But it's helpful saying that sometimes even those who follow Jesus can get disorientated. And yet the good news is, is that it doesn't mean you're bad. Jesus doesn't think you're bad. He loves you. He still respects you. And he celebrates. And he loves to come and find us when we're lost, to get us back to where we're meant to be. If God already loves and respects us and respects the lost, then being lost isn't meant at all to be derogatory. Rather, it's just a reflection that you aren't where you're meant to be. Whether you're sipping prickly pear at a brewery or something so significant in your life has happened that everything's changed almost overnight. You don't really know where you are anymore. We'd love to say that this is a place for you. This is the kind of church we'd love for you to be a part of where you in that whole process, you could be respected and loved and we'll figure it out together. And we'll try to tell better jokes in the future and have a bit of fun, not because we wanna imagine the pain isn't there but because sometimes we need light relief just to handle the difficult things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this a reminder of who you are. Thank you for this reminder of what you're doing in heaven already. And thank you for this invitation to us to mirror what you're doing, how you're working things out on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to play our part Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you strengthen us? And even now, Lord, we lift to you as a congregation, anyone who may feel lost or just that they're not where they're meant to be. And we ask even now, Lord, that they would know that they are loved by you and respected by you. And to that end, Lord, we pray that you would help us, your church, love and respect everyone. We lift you those in our midst who are going through grief, Thank you, Jesus, that you are acquainted with grief. we ask that you would draw near to them and lead them through seasons and this season of grief. We pray for those in our midst in need of peace, that you, the God and author of peace, would come and bring peace. We pray for any in our midst in need of reconciliation between relationships with friends, colleagues, or loved ones. That you would move by your spirit and enable them to begin that process. Finally, Lord, we lift you our week ahead and ask that you would Go ahead of us into the week, whatever we're doing during the working hours of the day and night. And that you go ahead of us and prepare for us the week. That as we go through it, we might be aware that you are with us in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.